everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Morning, everybody. Like Ed said, we are reading this book, Daring Greatly, alongside the Bible for the next couple of weeks. Uh, last week, we started in talking about the arena that we live in, or specifically by asking, what is your arena? Or in other words, what are you living your life for? But then we, uh, in relation to that, talked about the culture of scarcity that we live in, right? So you can fill in, once again, your own blank. I never have enough time, money, influence. Uh, But then it goes deeper than that. It's just not the external things, right? It's the internal feelings of scarcity. And you can fill in your own blank. Again, I am never blank enough, right? Good, kind, generous, giving. It kind of depends on your personality type. Uh, But to to answer that question, what is your arena? Uh, Brene Brown, who wrote this book, Daring Greatly, says this. We are hardwired to connect with others. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. Uh, What Jesus said is to love one another. Just as I have loved you, love one another, right? And then the thing that that actually answers, right, Uh, the thing that it points us to is that we were made to be in relationship, not just with each other, but with our creator, right, with God. And if we find ourselves uh, living in that place of I never have enough, it might be actually that we're in the wrong arena, right? You're actually chasing after the wrong things, the things that don't matter. Or maybe you're in the right arena, but you're fighting the wrong battles, right? Like there's all these little things that don't really matter that are sucking up your energy and time. Or maybe you're listening right to the critic in the stands who is saying, do it this way. You're not doing good enough. Uh, You know, fill in the blank there. Uh, But then maybe more importantly, to deal with the inside Uh, the scarcity that is inside. We talked about how uh, ultimately our worthiness does not come from what we do. Uh, Neither is it because, right, I think because we're so good on the inside, our worthiness comes because Jesus loved us, right? That's the second part of that phrase, love one another, just as Jesus has loved us. So your worth comes from Jesus loving you, which is probably the biggest point where I break with Brene Brown, right? She always is saying, look for the strength within, look for the worthiness within. And I would just add to that, uh, it's Jesus in you and Jesus' love for you where your worthiness comes from. Uh, So with that as a little bit of introduction, I want to transition and play that speech by Theodore Roosevelt that maybe you've heard already. It's not the critic that counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, 
who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, and so his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Pretty good, right? Guys, this is a good book. You should go get the book. We're going to read, uh, start off today by reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I am at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, with, which won't do us much good. One second. Let's see here. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, we'll be sticking there today. I'll jump ahead to 2 Corinthians 12, just kind of briefly. But uh, what you should know before we get started is that Paul is actually responding in this passage to a church who is questioning his authority to be a messenger of the good news of Jesus. And they are questioning his authority, or another way of putting this, they are questioning his apostleship because, in part, uh, Paul is someone who has suffered a lot in his life. If you know anything about Paul's history, uh, you know, he's, he's getting beaten, and he's getting thrown in prison, and he's been shipwrecked, shipwrecked three times. And the Christians in, Cor- in Corinth are thinking, I haven't even been shipwrecked once in my life, and you've been shipwrecked three times? Like, how can you say that God is with you if all these bad things are happening to you? which is something that, you know, some Christians might fall into as well. Like we assume that if you're a Christian, it means that we won't suffer. It means that bad things won't happen. Paul here, though, is not just saying, yeah, well, I suffer, but God is with me. He's saying my suffering actually gives me credibility. And I'll just, we'll read the passage and we'll unpack that, okay? It's actually, he flips it on his head. He doesn't, he doesn't defend his suffering. He actually applauds his suffering. He holds up his suffering. He holds up his pain. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Yes. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. We now have this light shining in our hearts But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Though suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen. 
This clip is gonna give me trouble. Hmm. Let's do it this way. And then Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 adds to that, I would say. Uh, Jesus says to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. It's uh, pretty dense, pretty profound, uh, but the first thing that probably stood out to you in my first point is that we are clay jars that hold great treasure. And I want to ask you all this. How many of you have ever dropped your phone and broken it? Has anybody here never dropped your phone and never broken your phone? Oh, my goodness. That's uh, all five of you. Uh, But, uh, you know, phones used to not be so easy to break. I went to the museum and took this artifact out of my basement. And uh, kids, this is pretty amazing. Watch this. There is a keyboard that pops out of there. These things are not uh, nearly as easy to break. But when you break your phone, what is it that goes wrong? What happens? It's the screen, right? Now, your new phone with that really nice screen that breaks so easily uh, is far more powerful than this on the inside, right? But you know what makes that phone more useful? Instead of on the inside of your smartphone, instead of having a keyboard on the inside of your smartphone, uh, there is a glass display, right, which lets you connect, interact, and see the power on the inside. Do you see what I'm saying? The fragile part of the phone is what allows you to connect and see the light and the power that is within. That's exactly what Paul is saying here when he says we are like uh, clay jars, but inside there is this great treasure. Now, you probably, or you may wish, that instead of being fragile uh, clay jars, Paul would say, or Jesus would turn us into unbreakable gold treasure boxes. And you might think that, but of course you wouldn't be able to see what was inside. You'd be impenetrable, and that, as we'll see later, will be, would be a very bad thing. And uh, to put it this way, as Brene Brown says in this book, too many things today. Vulnerability, right? Our fragileness, the clay jars that we are. Vulnerability is the core of all emotion and feelings. To feel is to be vulnerable. To believe vulnerability is weakness is to believe that feeling is weakness. To foreclose, that's a very interesting word, don't you think? It's like in real estate. To foreclose on our emotional life out of fear that the cost will be too high is to walk away from the very thing that gives purpose and meaning to living. Our rejection of vulnerability often stems from our associating it with dark emotions like fear, shame, grief, sadness, and disappointment, emotions that we don't want to discuss even if they profoundly affect the way we live, work, and even lead. What most of us fail to understand and what took me a decade of research to learn is that the vulnerability is also the cradle of the emotions and experiences that we crave. Vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. 
it's pretty straightforward. And uh, I'll tell you, I, was, I asked uh, somebody here who goes to our church uh, who is an artist and whose preferred medium is clay. And, they sa- and she said, when, when you form a clay pot, uh, what happens first is you let it dry. But at no point in the entire process is the clay pot more fragile than at that moment. They call it, I think, green clay, if I heard her right. Uh, only after it passes through the fire does it begin to build strength. I think that applies to our spiritual lives as well. Only as we pass through, call it trial, call it suffering, call it pain, do we begin to build strength. But in that process, of course, and this will, you'll relate to this if you've ever had anything difficult happen, like, you know, the cracks... Uh, the, the dents, the, the imperfections, like, never really go fully away. And if you have, I mean, if you have something that's of heirloom quality, right, something that's not uh, the quality that you would throw away, but something that you would fix if it broke and maybe pass on to your children, it's actually the scratches and, uh, and the imperfections that make that thing unique and beautiful. Am I right? Paul says that we are jars of clay. But inside, we contain this great treasure. So let's keep going. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 and 9. And I think you'll see how these things uh, connect together. He says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. It's pretty strong language. This these words that he uses are not like, how you doing? I'm fine. Language, right? Like he is talking about, in some senses, uh, not just physical pain, but I think that that word uh, hunted down is, uh, is sometimes translated persecuted. And within that, there is this like deep sense of rejection, right? Like you have been rejected at the core of who you are. And so people are like coming to hunt you down. Uh, you've, you've been cast out. And that's, that's something that we can all understand. But uh, this, my second point here that Paul, I think, is making, like, you need to be honest about your suffering. It doesn't do anybody any good to hold in or to hide what is, you know, shameful or scary or, or any of these things. Uh, in fact, when you do that, bad things happen. And guys, can I just, can I talk to you a, a minute? Men, I think... I think that we are maybe particularly bad at this. Uh, We think that uh, projecting strength, projecting that we are good and fine is strength, but it is folly. That's a strange word. I like that word because Boromir uses it in Lord of the Rings at the Council of Elrond, right? (laughs) I've been reading too much fantasy. Uh, Let me say it a different way. To, To believe that putting on this armor of strength to pretend that everything is going okay all the time uh, is stupid. It, it's, it's, it's bad for you. Let me, uh, let me again uh, pick up Brene Brown here. There's research to back this up, how bad it is for you to not share what's really going on in the inside. Uh, she says the shame thrives on secret keeping. And when it comes to secrets, there's some serious science behind the saying, uh, this is a 12-step uh, AA saying, you're only as sick as your secrets. 
And a pioneering study, a psychologist and University of Texas professor found that the act of not discussing a traumatic event or confiding it to another person could be more damaging than the actual event. Conversely, when people share their stories and experiences, their physical health improved, their doctor's visits decreased, and they showed significant decreases in their stress hormones. Did you hear that? Not discussing a traumatic event or confiding it to another person could be more damaging than the actual event. These researchers were not looking at simple, uh, simple hurts, simple insecurities. They, they were researching people who had survived rape and incest. Like these are not small uh, aches and pains. These are serious pains. And they're saying it was more damaging for them to keep it in than to share it. Guys, the armor that we wear sometimes is stupid. It is folly. And Paul here is, in, is using very strong language to describe the suffering that he has. And guys, I don't want to be too hard on you, right? I shared last week how like, I've had many men come to me and say, I want to connect with my wife. Uh, I want to have deeper relationships. I just don't know how. And I said, you know, uh, a good way to get there is to practice. And that's really like the essence of what we do in our life groups here. Because uh, practicing, so to speak, with your wife is, or your spouse or, or some, sometimes your family is most difficult, is the most difficult because the stakes are so high and you're the, ones who, you know, you're the one upset about who's doing the dishes and who's doing the laundry and who didn't pick up their room and, and all that. So like the stakes are so high. So, so don't practice with people necessarily that the stakes are high. Practice, you know, get good at sharing what's on the inside with friends who don't have to live with you every day. <laughs> right? Uh, a friend who will listen and not judge. And, and I said, like, life group is a great place to do this. But, but man, do you guys ever get beer with other men? Or coffee, ice cream? I, I, Chester Springs Creamery is like the place I take teenagers because I can't take them to victory. But uh, anyway, the, uh, uh, okay, here's where I'm at. So I understand that like sometimes, in fact, maybe most of the time, when somebody says, how are you doing, right? What they're actually saying is, hello. And then, you know, like the cultural norm is to say, I'm good, how are you doing, right? But all you're saying is hello. Here's the thing, when a stranger asks you, how are you doing, the stranger's saying hello. When a friend is asking you how you are doing, maybe you're sitting over a beer, maybe you're sitting over coffee, maybe you're sitting over ice cream, they're asking you how you are doing because they want to know really what's on the inside. They are trying to connect with you. And guys, when we respond, I'm good, how about them eagles? Like, it is weakness bordering on cowardice to not share what's really going on the inside. Talk about the eagles. There's lots to talk about, but don't bounce off the surface of relationships. It is folly, it is stupid, it is dangerous, it will kill you. Now, before I go on, and I'm going to get deeper into that it will kill you thing, okay? Not just for guys, but for everybody. I feel like I sucked all the room out, air out of the room here. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, I need to say something about confidentiality. And this is actually going to suck maybe some more air out of the room because I need to speak a truth and I'm doing it because I love you, okay? I'm speaking the truth in love. When somebody tells you something personal, 
they still own that thing they shared. You don't own it. Because they've shown it to you, maybe it's bad news, maybe it's good news, whatever it is, it's still their news. Not your news to share with all your friends. And that's tough. Like, this is actually a real thing in our church. I'm not saying that it's everybody. But it's especially hard for those of us who have been in this church for 10 years, 15 years, because this church feels like family. And in a sense, that's true, right? And you know, you know, you trust everybody and you know everybody. But if, if you want to burn through trust, start sharing other people's news. In fact, I'm not going to give any specifics on this. There was one instance not long ago I heard about uh, someone who, who had something personal. I don't even know what it was. Something personal that they shared with another. That other person shared in a life group uh, her thing. And the individual like, was, was ready to leave the church. They did leave the life group. This is serious. This idea of confidentiality is serious. Unless someone gives you explicit permission to share, it's not yours to share. Once it's on Facebook, it is public. Okay? But you know what I will often do? Even among the staff, this happened not long ago. I said, do you mind if I share that with the staff? Who else would you like me to share that with? Who can I share this with? And at that point, the individual was comfortable sharing it with the staff, but not with their life group. But it wasn't my news to share. You got to hold it in. Did you know in the church, gossip wears a mask? In the church, gossip wears a mask. And it often starts with the words, did you hear that so-and-so? Did you know that so-and-so? Isn't it awful that so-and-so? And a lot of times, guys, I'm coming down heavy. You are doing it out of like a place of caring and loving. But if you want to burn through trust, start sharing other people's stories. Gossip wears a mask. Sometimes the mask is, please pray for so-and-so. If you start a sentence, please pray for so-and-so, and finish that sentence because, and you didn't have permission to share that, you are breaking trust. And as we step into this vulnerability, into the space of vulnerability, our need for confidentiality is going to increase. Because I think this is who we are. And I think this is who we are and who we are becoming, this vulnerable people, because that's who Jesus is. That's what Paul is saying. He says we are jars of clay. And inside we have this great treasure. But we are beat up and bruised. And, Brene Brown says, like sometimes uh, the most vulnerable things that we have or that we experience are the joy and the hope. And, and you know, if you read the book, read the book. You know, she says, some of my most vulnerable moments are when I'm like looking at my child in, in her crib and it's, she's beautiful and then my brain goes to, oh no, what if she grows up and gets into a car accident when she's 14, right? So those are vulnerable moments too. And, and so whether it's a new job or a new house or I'm moving away, like protect those secrets. It's their news to share. Don't steal their news.
Okay. Moving along. Last point. Daring greatly demands vulnerability. 2 Corinthians 4. We are now at verse 10. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen. What does that mean? I'm not sure exactly what it means. (laughs) Uh, It's one of those very difficult mysteries that my mind has trouble wrapping itself around how in our suffering, like we and our bodies, what is the word? Share in the death of Jesus. It's easier kind of to understand that second part because, right, uh, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. I, I don't know exactly what that means. I can't actually piece that together for you. But I think it might be actually pointing us toward, again, this mystery of how God's power works and how we see this like actually coming up again and again in the Old Testament and the Gospels and the letters that Paul wrote where out of death, springs out life. Out of a stump, a dead stump, raises up a shoot. Uh, Out of darkness, right, comes light. Out of weakness, his power is made perfect. There's this death, life, suffering, strength dynamic that points us to I think, the face of Jesus. And so if we could just read, again, that, that passage, the reason I think these things are linked, right, in verse 6 it says, uh, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness has made his light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. Right there it is, seen. Uh, Through suffering our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen. Let there be uh, This light shines in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. So in this suffering, right, we actually, as we share it, but also as we see it in our other people, right, we actually get a glimpse of Jesus' face. And when we see Jesus' face, we see all sorts of things, right? We see his kindness and compassion and radical welcome and and just unbelievable love. But we also see a man of sorrow, who is acquainted with suffering. Did you know that? We see a man who loved us so much that he was willing to sacrifice his very life for us. He died for us. We look into his face and we see a man who is dying on the cross, gasping for breath. Somehow in our suffering, we share in the death of Jesus. Perhaps it is that just as strength is made perf- his strength is made perfect in weakness, that his light shines through our cracks. And this is uh, not a quote from Brene Brown. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis, who some of you know as the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, but he wrote, uh, he wrote a lot of really profound books. This is from The Four Loves. The only alternative to vulnerability 
is damnation. What he is, what, oh, wow, that is not what he's saying. That is what he's saying. Where did I put that quote? I got it. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly, and I would say probably broken. To love is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to keep making, uh, make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. Wrap it carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And that's why I'm saying, like, he's using impenetrable, irredeemable, unbreakable, like, to, to shut down vulnerability, like, the alternative to vulnerability is damnation. And I don't mean damnation like you're going to go to a place called hell and burn forever. Like, maybe that's the trajectory. But, like, that, that reality that you're living of being just what he said, of being cold and hard-hearted and alone and impenetrable. Uh, He's saying, what he's saying is like the only way to really uh, let greatness be released in your life is through a broken heart. Like, if you're going to love, you are risking, you are daring greatly the potential to be hurt and rejected and broken. And so that the only way the, the only way to avoid that vulnerability and to avoid the potential of pain is to lock up your heart. And if you, you know, it's, you're not just irredeemable and sad and all those things. Like, you know, there's like a shallowness too, right? Like, just think about if, you've, if you know anybody whose heart has never been broken, it's either because they, they always like keep people away, but, but if, if they never actually share what's going on inside, if they never take a risk uh, to be vulnerable with you, like you, you think of those people as shallow, right? So there, there's a lack of depth too uh, with the shutting off of vulnerability. It is through suffering as we share in the suffering of Jesus, that the power of God is made perfect and the life of Jesus flows out of us. Let's pray. Jesus, we need help in this. We thank you that your grace actually covers up uh, all our sins. <laughs> and I, I would simply pray that if, if we're like on a path and we are steering away from like the real stuff in our hearts, uh, from, from your love and from the love of others, that you would help us to correct our path. Uh, bring, man, this is your power, God. If any of us are in that cold and broken place, if we have locked up our hearts, we've done it for good reason. We think 
We're keeping ourselves safe. But we, we've signed up for something that we didn't know. We didn't know about the loneliness or the, the coldness. But God, you are in the business of bringing life out of death, of turning stone hearts into living hearts. And so Holy Spirit, come. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.